0: If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code, Ryan10, for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at kindfarmsinc, all one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C, and their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. in Actress spares, we have truly one of my favorite actresses, J. Smith Cameron. You know her as the hilarious Jerry from HBO Succession. Her scenes in that show are some of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. But she's been in this business for a really long time. She grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, cooked her way to Florida, got her equity card before she even finished college, and then started working up on Broadway in New York City. And she's really honest about, you know, sustaining a career for almost three decades and how this works. And I got so much love for Jay Smith, Cameron. And it really, it was like having a hero on the show. I love you, Jay Smith. Here it is. Jay Smith Cameron, welcome to an actor spares. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Ryan. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm all right. You know, it's uh, I'm in Williamsburg, so it's still kind of a weird time in the city. You know, it was uh, the first Fourth of July. I don't want to say I, I protested it, but I actively didn't see fireworks or do anything because I personally I just don't feel proud to be. You. Yeah, we're proud to be an American right now. You know what I mean? We have this crazy man in the White House, and I'm just like you know, he kind of – he made the, the holiday so so political and ideological. And I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping this year. Good for you. Yeah. I'm on the same line. Yeah. But uh, we're here to talk about you. I'm such a big fan of yours. And, I mean, you. honestly, I, I you know, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass when I say, like, your work on Succession is some of the finest acting I've ever seen. And you're, like – of a lot of great characters on the show, you're in my top three. It's, especially like your relationship with, Kieran Culkin's character. You know, it's just oh god, it's just. I mean that writer, he's incredible. You know what I mean? It's like,
1: yeah, Jesse is, but his whole team is amazing. Yeah, I'm yeah. Quite a big group, and they're really amazing. But look, let's start from your beginning. You grew up in Florida. Did I read that correctly? No, well, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, but then I did most of my growing up in Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, nice. And I went actually went to uh, – so I started acting in high school, and I went to – um the last year I was – um the year I was a senior, they had just opened a performing arts center in Greenville, so it was kind of modeled on the LaGuardia-ish.
0: Oh, um, amazing.
1: Cool. But instead of going there all day, you went to your school – for part of the day and did your academic classes. And then you were bused to the art center. And so, yeah, I had like a whole morning long of theater and we did three plays.
2: Um, What
0: What did your parents do? Talk to me about how the arts bug happened for you. How the what? How, how the art bug kind of happened for you, the artist? Bug. Yeah,
1: sure. Okay, so my big sister, who I'm very close to, was always sort of the uh, performer in the family, and she was a really good actress. And she did act professionally for a little while, but she became a teacher ultimately, really wonderful teacher. But uh, she was kind of always the more extrovert actor in my mind. She, she's, yeah, you know, nine and a half years older than me, so she like she was my role model. And when you talk about mentors, she was my. Most significant mentor, I'd say. And she, um, so she kind of, I guess, I guess I was kind of a closet actress because as a kid, because we would, you know, put on the soundtrack to Hair.
2: And nice. Right. And,
0: and I, and love, I love
2: the Hair
1: <laughs> in Greenville, South Carolina, in the yeah. that's, pretty, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty, you know, closeted activity, I think. Um, but so, I, but I played the violin. I played the violin from second grade all the way through high school.
0: Wow. Well, did your parents kind of force that on you, or did you find no, that they yourself?
1: They forced it, but um, they encouraged it, you know. Yeah. And they were worried for my sister Joanne to be in theater because I was just saying to a friend of mine this morning that, you know, when, when I was um, growing up, there wasn't even, I, I mean, there was a couple of, um, you know, community theater type things in Greenville mm-hmm. that were that were decent, but there, were, there was no... I didn't I didn't even know that you could be a professional actor,
2: really. It was yeah. like
1: you could be a movie star, or, a, you know, an amateur, which, uh, you know, there's nothing really wrong with it, but, like, I didn't really understand that you could be an actor. Like, I didn't believe it.
0: It's funny. Kathleen Turner said the exact same thing when she was
1: Sorry. on the show. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: I had no, um... You know, I just... I, you know, all you read about was how hard it was to make it, and still to this day, as you know, like... People who aren't in the theater or in, in our business think you're, you know, to be successful, you have to be Emma Stone or Meryl Streep or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, whereas that's for actors, it's, you just want to. The um, coup is
0: making a living and being able to pay your rent.
1: Truly. And, and yeah. to, to do a body of work that you feel is meaningful. Like that's, yeah. that we don't really have a reference in our country the way they seem to in England and, and, and in Europe, like yeah. where, um, doing great plays is an end and it's like totally that was the focus of what i wanted to do when i was that age and a sort of purist you know love of the theater so i didn't really know and then so i went to this performing arts high school and we had this wonderful teacher who's since passed away oh I'm sorry. Who, um had gone to florida state uh florida state has a big school of theater
0: and they have a great film department as well don't they i,
1: I don't i don't know yeah,
0: I, love I, it. I, 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 I I I I think so because I remember. Yeah, I yet, but yeah. That was, this is ancient
1: history. Um, but this guy, Miss Breckenridge, had gone had gotten his MFA there, and he said, "You know, you should you should go there because in the yeah. South that was the theater hub at Got that time. It. So, um, how did your parents handle? Life, and that's where I went.
0: Did your parents handle you pursuing it and in, in college well, or were they like... I
1: think, I think they just thought I would get it out of my system and then find a, some way to make it work.
0: Become a nurse or a doctor or something, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they specifically might have thought, but I think yeah. they had seen with Joanne that trying to talk her out of the arts did not make her happy. So they kind of, they weren't trying to quash me exactly, but they like me, they didn't really know that there was any way to do that for a living, but they felt yeah. like, well, she's let her, you know, let her fall, let her, let her fall it out and see what happens.
0: Yeah. So they were, you know, great parents. They believed in, they yeah, yeah.
1: Supportive. They weren't unsupportive.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: You
1: know, good luck to
2: you. <laughs> <laughs> totally.
1: Get work. Um, so I went off to Florida State and then, um, and then I started getting little acting jobs. Um you know, nothing fancy, but like, uh, this theater professor I had started a really, um, smart, interesting, cutting edge sort of children's theater in Louisville, Kentucky. And he kind of, I sort of did a stopping out to do that for oh. a season or two. And yeah. then I kept kind of drifting back to school. And then I did, um, a Victor Nunez film, his first full length film in Gainesville when I'm still a student. Um, and my first summer theater job was in St. Augustine and, and, uh, oh, I and love then, St. Augustine. And then ultimately I, um, auditioned for, there was a regional theater that's not there anymore. It was briefly lived, but it was in Coconut Grove at that beautiful old theater there. Uh, this theater where, you know, uh, Waiting for Godot had premiered. Like that's yeah. where all these great shows would open out of town beautiful old theater and for a few years it was a regional theater and I got to play and I got my equity card there this is all when I would have been finishing my degree so I was kind of like wow.
0: so you were really immersed before you you know you even graduated you had your equity card like you were vastly well, ahead so of it
1: kind of, by the time I got my equity card I kind of realized I was not probably gonna graduate from college you know yeah. but I it was it wasn't like I decided to drop out it kind of happened gradually and so then after that so I did a year at this regional theater and I got to play Ophelia and all these plays that were kind of being done at that time Agnes of God and Getting Out and um, I got to play all these great parts for someone my age which was unusual and and then, then I moved to New York okay
0: and I'm curious to ask you, you know, what, what, that, that theaters that you were doing in the summer, were those kind of like Williamstown equivalents, but of Florida?
1: Well, you know, when you're that far away from New York at that, in those days, I think it's probably very different now, but yeah, no, these were like, um, you know, in South Florida there, they were like entertainment for, um, they, there'd be like classical plays and rap and like plays that would appeal to an older audience who, who, who had money, Yeah, you know, like yeah. They were like some, some, like cultured summer inter- entertainment offerings. Um, they weren't new plays the way they do at Williamstown. Like Williamstown. Yeah. Was so yeah. the proximity to New York and to the proximity to New York talent, they really do, you know, they, they develop a lot of plays there. But that wasn't yeah. the case at least then. Totally. But, you know, I worked at, um, but, you know, they were exciting to me because I, it was proof that I could get a paycheck for acting.
0: Yeah. I mean, what that's, awesome. the that dream. And then, when you made the decision, like L.A. versus New York, what what factored into the New York winning?
1: I, I never saw myself in L.A., so I had, you know, as a theater nerd, like I really yeah. loved theater, and um, I wanted to do plays. So New York was sort of the mecca for that. And I was going to say, you know, when I first got an invitation to come on the show, I was like, the main thing that I, I think people don't understand is that when you grow up, like far afield of London or New York or LA and you want, and you want to go in the arts, like just the act of moving to New York is this, is this act of heroism. Like you are yeah. going onto the world to seek your fortune. And that is almost an end in itself. Like I, can, I moved to New York. I stayed on friends' sofas for about six months. I had an unemployment claim and my brother gave me a check for two hundred dollars, wow. and and I had whatever my summer job earnings were, and I, that's it. And I stayed on a couch, and I would. In, in, in what neighborhood? My first apartment was on Grove Street. I stayed with my friend Laura from school, wow. and uh, drove her crazy because it was a tiny apartment even for her. Yeah. Um, so that's just last, and then you know I stayed in a couple other friends' apartments, um, and then I when I got my own apartment, it was up in Washington Heights because that was one. Wow. But that well, was after I started getting work. You know, I I just kind of mooched off people for a little
0: while. Yeah, as we all have to do. I, did, I lived on a couch for five years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me. Uh, uh, can you expand a little bit, you know, for the viewers listening about what New York was like then? Because, like, you know, now we I'll, – I'll say it, you know, so it's my words, not mm-hmm. your own. Capitalism has kind of destroyed this city and all the edge and the things that we – You know, movies mystified about the city. What was it like then? Um,
1: Well, it was early 80s when I got there. And actually, what was, you know, the um, Broadway had not had its big revitalization yet. So it was all these very down in the heels theaters or theaters that were empty.
0: Like the public or being
1: torn down, like the Marriott hotel. You know, I remember one of the first things I got to do was be in a protest that I think the public theater had organized that would try to get these people from, to stop them from tearing down these old
2: theaters. Wow.
1: And it was very, um, bleak. And there weren't that really that many plays on Broadway.
2: Yeah. The
1: ones that were, were musicals. There were occasionally a play, a play or two. Like it was, yeah. Pretty bleak, and also that area was basically like um, junkies and streetwalkers, and you know, it was trashy and brothels, and, and really yeah. had a whole renaissance since then. Yeah. So it was pretty, pretty bleak. Um, but then, you know, that gradually turned around. So, um, and then, how,
0: how did you kind of navigate your way through the business? Because I imagine in the eighties, you know, soaps were still. A really big thing, you know? What, what was that what you were pursuing at first to get survival?
1: Well, I auditioned for anything I would get an audition for. My, and I had a very, um, so the first few jobs I got after having moved to New York were actually out of town. Like I would audition for a regional production or something and then go do it and come back. Okay. So I did that twice. And then I auditioned for, and this is just a good lucky story, like this was my, uh, like a break I had. I auditioned for um, I had auditioned for a movie for a wonderful cast director um, who was open to meeting to know, you know, tracking new people and she, I had auditioned for some movie that I didn't get, but she'd remembered me and it was a southern, the movie was a southern movie and so they were casting for a national tour of Crimes of the Heart at Penley's Play.
2: Oh, wow.
1: Right, so she called me in to read for the youngest sister in that for Babe. And, um, you know, I just kind of got into New York, so I had really mixed feelings because I didn't really want to go on a long tour. Like, I didn't want to leave. But obviously, it would be a well-paid, high-profile job, and I would have to take it. if I got it. It was a a play that I thought was great. So I was running on Broadway, of course, because then they were preparing the national tour. So I auditioned for that, and I went back to my uh, regional job I was doing, and I got a call from the person who had submitted me for that. And they said, well, I have bad news and good news. What do you want first? And I was literally on a payphone. This was before. Oh, wow. I had a break from rehearsal. Wow. And I was like, I guess the bad news.
2: And he yeah. said,
1: the bad news is they postponed the tour of Crimes of the Heart. And I was
2: like, well, okay, great.
1: He said, but the good news is that Maya Dillon, who plays Babe, just gave notice on Broadway, and they're offering you the part on Broadway. Wow! No way! (laughs) No way! I don't even remember the rest of the conversation. It was just buzzing in my ear. I was like, I can't
0: even imagine. I'm still waiting for that day. I get that call.
1: (laughs) What? And, uh, yeah. So, I didn't even have an agent. I wasn't signed with an agent or anything. So, my first job in New York was in this plum role on Broadway.
0: So, for the (laughs) actors listening, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, just so I can really help People understand. Do you feel like having your equity card before, you know, coming to a city like New York is is a great strategic move?
1: Well, it certainly helped me because I, yeah. was, um, I was uh, eligible for these regional theater jobs. that what I was going for. I mean, yeah. my concept of what a great career would be before I moved to New York was to be in a resident company like like the Guthrie or the arena or yeah. ATL in Louisville or, and play all these parts like I, you know, now spent time in Louisville and, and um, you know uh, you know, I've been and seen these like great, ATL had this great company when I was that age when I was doing the children's theater in town, they did this they had these, all these, all those Beth Hennig plays went through there actually yeah. first, and they, all these plays were being done there and they had a great core company that lived there and they owned homes and they had families and they had pets and they drove cars and they had it was like a regular job sure. but they have got to play all these great parts and the community knew them and loved them and cherished them yeah. and I was like what else could there possibly be like it would be heaven on earth yeah. they would do classical play they, you know so somebody would start off you know like Adele O'Brien might play Ophelia when she was younger and then Cleopatra later and then Gertrude later in her career wow. like she just the right you know yeah. season, season and it was like to me that would be I thought if I could sort of line myself up to be eligible or thought of for that kind of career that would be the end goal yeah because I couldn't imagine and I still kind of can't imagine anything more fulfilling than that Yes. Yeah. So um uh but so that that so yes, for that goal, that was great yeah. to have taken the pains to kind of go through the steps to get so that first I got my equity card by working at that theater in uh Cocon Grove. That was my equity card.
0: Okay. Um and so, so tra- well, transport me back to that telephone booth. So you that. get the call. <laughs>
1: yeah. So and then I had to drop out of the play I was doing. Which was slightly traumatic because the guy running the theater at the time did not want. I had. I was supposed to give six weeks' notice. Here was, this young actress about to get her New York debut, her Broadway debut, and wow. all I could do was five and a half weeks' notice, and he was not going to let me out. And what? Had, yeah, and then they kind what of an asshole. I know. <laughs> and they, but the but people like the director of the play and the other people in the theater, everybody kind of lobbied for me. Yeah. And I was playing Hermia in Midsummer Night's Dream. And, um, it, as it so happened, my friend, Angela Workman, who's now screenwriter, um, was dating the guy who played Lysander and oh. she was visiting and she had played Hermia and she was just right for it. So we got her an audition for it and she was ready to replace me way before I left. So it worked out perfectly all the way around. Yeah. So it was kind of magical. Um, so that was how that worked out. But for a minute there, I was like, oh, he's really going to keep me from taking his job?
2: Yeah. It's
1: insane.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad. So talk to me about your run. How was it, you know, going from being in all these regional, you know, classical type, smaller venues to, you know, the home run?
2: <laughs>
1: I have a cool story about it. because. Um, what was the play? Crimes of the Heart, Yeah, got it. Okay. Which is a beautiful play. I don't know okay. if you know that play, but that's an incredible
2: play. Yeah.
1: Um. So, at that time, there was a theater bar like Joe Allen's is, but it's long gone now, but it was from the olden days, like, from the glory days of Broadway called Downing's. Okay. On 8th yeah. Avenue between, I want to say, 43rd and 44th or 44th and 45th, right along there. Okay. On um, Downey's, And it was like, like Joe Allen's is, or one of those theater bars. Yeah. So, um and in Downey's, they had booths, and in the booths, they had black and white photographs from decades past of, you know, stars and iconic roles in their dressing room. Yeah. Black and white photographs of people taken in Broadway theaters in your dressing room. I so wonder what happened to that photo collection. If anyone ever listening to this knows the answer, maybe go oh, Please it.
2: find out, YouTubers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing photographs. Yeah. So I had
1: gone into the show, which was traumatic because you have like 10 rehearsals or something. It was a big, big part in a big play, three act play, like a long yeah. play. And um so I had done it and I had my opening night and it was not an opening night for everybody else in cast they'd been yeah. in it for months so were,
0: were you nervous or at this point um, were you just so like I got it
1: I was terrified but yeah. I had to concentrate on and I was young and could memorize fairly effortlessly and so it yeah. wasn't really it was uh you know it was terrifying but it was thrilling too you know so yeah I got through it, and then my boyfriend at the time and I went across the street to Downey's. Oh, and so so one other interesting thing is that the number one dressing room at the gold it was at the Golden, the the star dressing room um, at that time had been um, whatever show had been in there before, or the time before that. Somebody had really redecorated the star room, so it was like very girly and like chintz, you know. um, like, really done up for a Broadway dressing room, which are usually kind of nicely. They usually look like exactly like an All About Eat. They look like yeah. kind of utilitarian.
0: Yeah. I worked for the Niederlander Theater Group as a survival job for, as a bartender. So I've, I've seen them and it's, it's, it's not exotic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. they <laughs> kind of cool in their own way. because Yeah you know, roses and then pipes, you know, (laughs) very like, so, but whoever had this dressing room, either the show before the show before that had decorated that room, whoever the star was. And it had like, you know, like a um, vanity curtain skirt on the, on the makeup counter and, um, matched the, the drapes and matched the slip cover on a little sofa. And it was, it was cozy, but definitely like a dressing
2: room, you know? Yeah.
1: I couldn't believe it. And so it had been, um, Mary Beth Hertz. And then, cause she was, I guess, considered the most, uh, starring one to be in the first cast. And then when she left, Maya Dillon had gone into that. And then the stage manager was just like, we can't keep shuffling it. This is just going to be Babe's room from now on. So whoever yeah. places Maya uh, going into the star dress. So not only did I, my first job in New York was on Broadway, but I was in the star dressing room. Wow. So was, which wasn't, It happened to be kind of decorated, but it's a tiny little room, but it's number, it's number one, you know. So I was in that room and the one feature that was kind of unusual is it had a standing oval, uh, looking glass. So you could, you know, you do your makeup, but then it had in the background like this big, you know, full length on a, you know, on a stand that you could tilt. Beautiful oval ornate kind of, um, mirror. And it had been all been painted in lavenders and greens, and it was, like, very tasteful. But it was a yeah. very distinctive shape. So fast forward to that first night that I'd gone on, and we, and, and I went out to Downing's with my then-boyfriend, and we sat in a booth, and, I, and he went to get us a drink at the bar, and I looked at the photograph, and the photograph was of Burt Lahr backstage from Waiting for Godot, which, coincidentally had opened at Coconut Grove Playhouse before Broadway, weirdly. Wow. So I looked at it, and I was like, oh, that show was at our theater, the Golden. Yeah. And then I looked back, and behind him in the photograph is that oval mirror. No way! (laughs) Yeah. Way before I had ever been painted lavender, and I was like, I had these goosebumps. and was just all alone in my little... Yeah. And it was just the most thrilling thing. And then, just to tie up that story... Um, my husband's play last season was in that theater and Elaine May was in that room but the oval mirror isn't there anymore but she was in the number one dressing room at the Golden
0: you're, you're now husband my now husband uh, amazing, amazing, one of the best writers in the world uh, and directors, but uh, I'm so curious Then you know, talk to me about that run because, you know, in New York I mean, if, if, if you get lucky enough to get on Broadway, you know, it's the dream because All the agents, all the casting directors, and so many actors and directors and people that know people come. Did that open a lot of doors for you?
1: Well, I got a good agent out of it, but the play had been running already for months before I came into it. So, like, most of the theater people had seen it. Like, it was more like on the tourist half of the run of the show. I
0: I see what you see. It wasn't like a new play, some people were flocking to it. Yeah. So, I don't
1: think, like, so yeah, I invited some casting people to come see it, but like, to come back and see it again, to see me, it's a little bit hard to do that, you know to get people to, I wasn't in a position to buy them tickets
2: yeah.
1: and you don't make the as a lead um, well, not when you're not, op- not opening night, you know, not uh, trying, to, you know, you're trying to just make their nuts so they can stay open. Like, yeah, not, not really, you know? So, um, yeah, you know, some people came and, but it was also just, just a shiny credit to have on my resume. Yeah, of course. So of course. even if people didn't see me in a day it was, you know.
0: And then you said, you said you got your agent.
1: I did. I got my van agent. I'm not, not with that agent anymore. Amazing. And,
0: and then talk to me. How did that that early agent. How, how was your relationship with that? Did that open you up to TV and film? I know you did Guiding Light, and like talk to me about positioning
1: Guiding Light. That's so funny because those, those I didn't have a like a regular. I, I guess they had a recurring role on that.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but I don't remember. I feel like I did that much work on soap operas. Like um, a lot of theater actors, at least in those days, would do them just to kind of they would do commercials and. Um, and soap operas to, to sort of shore up their rent money. Like it was, yeah. you know, um, I mean, occasionally would test for a real role on those soap operas, the really lucrative jobs are those contract players. And I never got them, but I did, yeah, I did. <laughs> I was on Guiding Right. You're right. Victor Slezak was, was playing this, like, he was a guest actor on it too. And he was playing this bad boy who got involved with whoever the he was in the story. And he was, he was a bad man, He was like, of, you know gangster or something, and she was having this like walk on the wild side with Victor Slavzak. And so that turns out that Victor Slayzak's sister was blind. Wow. and and ran a, a school for the blind. And in the story, the the ingenue character, I think her name was Beth had temporary blindness. So, in true, so <laughs> Of course, going to my school, and we became, you know, and it was this like tear jerky thing where we both pretended to be blind, and um, it was pretty
0: hokey. What yeah. What was the landscape like then? Because obviously, now we live in a world where like TV is better than movies, and you can self tape for a project that's in shooting in Guatemala and have it to them in thirty minutes. You know, so. What was it like for you? Were you only going up for New York things or um, auditioning for LA things as well? Yeah,
1: um, yeah I would go, you have to go into the casting director's office, which you still do, but even to go on tape, you had to go in because you didn't tape at home. You didn't have
2: to, yeah. you
1: know. Um, so, after, so, yeah, I used to live, so I lived up in Washington Heights, as I said, when I finally got an apartment, I lived in Washington Heights, and I would come in sometime. I did a lot of voiceovers in those days and commercials. And I would, you know, have been in town to audition for some voiceovers. I'm just being jeans and a t-shirt. And, and then I would get a call on my, you know, answerings at my answering service. Wow. Where you called in to get your messages. Yeah. And be like, oh, you have an audition at 345. If you could make it, and I'd be like, well, there wouldn't be time to go home all the way on the subway and doll up and come back. Yeah. So what I would do is I would go to the Plaza Hotel and go down in the basement. They had the fancy uh, restrooms with yeah. the attendants, and uh, with all kinds of like they had
0: toiletries uh, and makeup. And-
1: right. So cool. I go to wash my face and you know uh, freshen up, and then I'm going to Bergdorf Goodman's to the makeup counter. Oh, doing the samples. And I, do
2: <laughs> I love the <laughs> so awesome. samples. I
1: might have a grungy t-shirt on and jeans, but this part would be sort of refreshed.
2: Yeah. Uh, because
1: when you're that age, too, you have lots of auditions. Yeah. And my perk of getting older is that people kind of know who you are, so they they of sort of know if they're interested in you or not. And not that you don't audition anymore, but you don't you don't do have the number of auditions yeah. for people who just don't know who you are. So you have to audition so that they have a frame of reference. Yeah. So I had a, a you know a zillion auditions. A lot of them were misfires that didn't come to anything, but it, it was a method of getting to know. Um, getting people to know who you were, you know. Yeah, of
0: course. And, and were you, did you tell then agent that you were just as interested in doing theater as much as you were, you know, doing TVs and movies and yeah, projects? I
1: did, yeah, I did. Well, I did mostly theater for the whole first part of my career, and I still think of myself as theater
0: actress. You were nominated for a Tony.
1: I was Yeah.
0: Hmm. How was that experience?
1: It was thrilling. Yeah. It was wild. Um, but you know, I did, I did test and even make some pilots along the way, but I was always very, um, I never saw myself as living in LA and, um, I guess I always, my concept of who I was as an actor was as a uh, theater actor. Yeah. So I, I thought it would be hard to, I never occurred to me to move to LA.
0: And, And you never did. Did, if I got did, a serious
1: shot in L.A., I would go and I would Got, it, got there. Um I did a few pilots. None of them were picked up in that era. And then finally I did a, um, a show called The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. Mm-hmm. It was a Jay Tarsus show that starred Blair Brown. And, and it shot at Silver, I think it's Silver Cup in Queens. Yeah. John Panko's wife, who wow. was really young. And we were like we played neighbors and mollies, and it was great because every episode was written by a different New York playwright.
2: Yeah,
1: so by Eric Overmyer and Albert Enrado and wow, and it, was, and it had all like Victor Garber was on the show, and you know all these so
2: cool. Things. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. And then as you know, the nineties progressed and TV started rising with like NYPD Blue and and other things. Did you start doing a lot of like co star guest star? Reoccurring,
1: yeah. Law and Order is the thing from my from my lifetime that supported all the people <laughs> roughly wow. in my era um, that underwrote our careers because there were several of those shows you could um, come back on them. But yeah. I, I might have done I don't
0: know half a dozen. Because there was like Law and Order, Criminal Intent, SVU, and I think there was another one at one point, but I can't remember. What I, it was.
1: I think I was only in the first Law and Order a few times. Okay. Criminal intent, I think twice. And uh that's for once too. Or maybe twice oh. on that. Twice on that as well. So
0: in, in the Maloney like, days? Hmm? In the Christopher Maloney days?
1: Uh to begin with, yeah.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Wow.
1: Um, I did one early on. Um I just uh, I did make a couple during those days because I, I just saw a clip by accident of myself and Dylan Baker on a law and order, and um
0: and it I was I love quick. Dylan Baker.
2: Original cast is thrilling. Yeah. That's so cool.
0: And then as things started evolved, evolve, it, you started doing movies as well. And did you find that fulfilling? You know, having the. Because theater, yeah. the, pay, the payoff comes, you know, at the, at the end. You see the audience and they get the clap. Like doing TVs and movies, those things are caught up in post and you don't know, you know, you can do your best job, but so much of it comes down to editing and scoring and, and yeah, casting.
2: They- the other
1: thing that you get really attached to as a theater actor that it's hard to reconcile when you start working in film and TV is that in theater it's a process. You have rehearsal, yeah. so you know everything kind of grows. Like you can sleep on things and come back to it the next day, and you and you can hone it. And you know the beginning, middle, and, <laughs> and ahead of time. You know where yeah. the story going, which like on a TV series, just not the nature of TV. Like. They don't know how many seasons are going to go, so they don't know. No. They might have a rough idea of what the
0: what they're the hoping for. Right.
1: Yeah, like, but they don't. They have to by the nature of it, kind of be making it up as they go along. So, and and you just don't. I mean, you might have a chance to rehearse the day of a little bit on a on a TV show, but you, it's it's different. Like w- w- in rehe- you know, for a play, you have a few weeks to rehearse, and it, yeah. and you, and the relationship between you and your colleagues grows and you get to know your parts gradually and you get to kind of foster ideas or thoughts you have about it and it gets to percolate and steep and so, all those good things. And so I got very attached to that. So it was, always felt like, like uh, I was just shot out of a cannon on a film or TV set. Like, okay, go. Like yeah. I didn't really have that process. And also, it's harder to get, unless you're playing, unless you're in a really particularly good TV series or movie script, it's hard to get a smallish part that's really rich. You have to either kind of luck into something that is to a proper supporting role that's really... There's a lot of jobs, particularly in TV shows, that are just like exposition, you know, like... yeah come and interview the lady in the shop about the criminal was seen on her camera, and they come and ask you some questions. It's very dry, and you have to try to... It's almost even hard to memorize those lines, because it's not... There's no emotional through line, or very little one. You have to make one up, sort of. Yeah. So, it's hard to play... Like, it's almost easier to be a lead in a movie, in my limited experience with that, than it is to play a small part.
2: Yeah.
0: I I feel so...
1: yeah, you've room to stretch out, and you know, have yeah. a
0: little out character. It's the one line audition where you're like, oh, "How do I? How, how do I do this?" You know what I mean? <laughs> <Is that laughs> the, would you like some more water? Would, would, would you like more water? You know, you just get so in your head.
1: <laughs> <Like> more water.
0: <laughs> that, that's all the auditions I'm getting right now. So, uh, but uh um, that's amazing. So I'm curious to ask you then. You know, because getting married and deciding to have children, let alone with another artist, that you know, that brings a whole dynamic at play because as acting, we, I don't want to say we're self-consumed, but we're so preoccupied with our next get. You know what I mean? A great Denzel Washington quote is like, what was your favorite job? And it's my next one. And I think that's true for all actors. So when you, when you guys got married and decided to have children, did you have to slow down your intake of, of auditions or offers or, and making sure that each one, or did you have like, you know, some, some parents I know do the, you work, I'll take off, then you work and I'll take off. Right.
1: Well, yeah, we did some of that. But yeah. mostly it was just, um, this is my second marriage. I didn't have children in my first marriage. I have one child now. But I felt like I was kind of, kind of came to parenthood a little late in the game. So I just really wanted to be there for it. Like I, I did have the help of a nanny and babysitters, but I didn't want to rely on that. I wanted to. I wanted to be there at bedtime, so it's hard to be in a play yeah. and also be there to read the bedtime story. It's a, you can't do both. Yeah. So I started to, uh, I started to really. Um, I, I mean, I wanted to back up to something you said earlier about: Did you go up for play for, play, uh, for television stuff when you were living in New York? And The thing is, one thing about being in plays, you know, you do eight shows a week, yeah, and and then so if you're just going from play to play, it's almost like hard To know when you're available to be in a movie. Once so, the
0: contract ends. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like it doesn't they don't you almost have to just agree to be available for a while and yeah. hope that your film resume will build. And I really rarely did that. A couple times I'd be like, I'm gonna try to turn some stuff down and see what happens. But I would get restless, right? Get offered something really exciting and want to do that. So um, that kind of happened again because when I had Nellie, my daughter. I wanted to be around for it. So I kind of did like one play a year, yeah. usually, you know what I mean? And, but then it made me be, it, it afforded me the chance to think very, be very selective, which yeah. before I got, I had to go from job to job to job. But now I had, you know, a partner to help me make the rent and we would, so there wasn't the same kind of, um, you know, I mean, I feel like most of my career I just went from job to job just to, just to pay the rent and now I felt like I was I could be the um, the the stay at home mom for part of the year and that afforded me to be able to go well I'm going to do one play this year let me hold out for something really juicy whether it's a big part or just a great play or just you know whether it's just a good part that's small but I love it or didn't matter about the size or the venue but just it had to really speak to me for me to want to do it. And in a weird way, it, it, um, it, it made me get more choosy. So even though I did less stuff when she was growing up, I did really some choice things. Yeah. And that was just lucky because my husband was making a living.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Really beautifully put. And before we dig into succession, I'm curious to ask you, because you know, you're so articulate and you're so grounded and, and you've worked for so long. How did you, how did you not let any of the success and all the celebrity bullshit, you know, get in your head? Like, I'm so curious. How did you stay humble? I guess is the word I'm looking for.
1: Well, I mean, I don't really feel like I've had that kind of, you know, um, I haven't had any overnight success. You know, it's like yeah. one thing just kind of prepared me for the next thing. The next thing. when I And when I got part on Succession, there was no indication that it would be such an important role or such a fun role.
0: Talk I mean, so talk to me about how it came your way.
1: Um, so I had a chance to audition for Doug Abel, who I love that casting
2: director. Yeah.
1: Um, and he was, he, at that point, he was cast in Succession. And, uh, it was, it was supposed to be a um, recurring role, but just for um, Four episodes, like I had a little mini contract, like a little they call it Got deal making, just for four episodes. I a guest. I was a guest star. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really know much about the character. I knew it was a lawyer, and it was a big media um, family, like a super wealthy family.
0: Did you get um, the pilot script? Like, did you have an idea of, of the tone? Um,
1: I, a little bit of one. They sent me a link to watch the pilot because the pilot had been made quite a bit before that got picked up and went into production. But it, I couldn't get it to play. I saw a little bit of it,
2: <laughs> <That's so
1: funny. laughs> and I saw that Karen was in it, and I kind of got the mood of it. And it, they had the little jumpy camera, and it was edgy. And but when I read it, even though I didn't know <laughs> what, what I was referring to in it, I could tell it was funny. Like I don't know how I could tell it was funny, but. Because I didn't know what the jokes were, but I could tell. It just was very specific. The way yeah. that the character spoke was so specific. I don't know. It just resonated with me, and um, it was kind of. Now I know it was like some scenes that were. Some of them ended up as Frank scenes. The character oh. that Peter uh, yeah was in the show yeah some ended up as Frank scenes, and some were Jerry scenes. But Jerry was a guy.
2: And oh, in, in the script. Happened.
1: Gary was a guy. So, wow. So, but, so he, so they would say, so the scenes I had were with like Kendall and Roman and they would say something gross, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, very they, vulgar on the show and they, and bratty and spoiled and they would say something awful and just because was a woman playing, but one of the major suits in the, you know, yeah, you could wince and just try not to, you know, try to be unflappable, but be like, ugh, and I just was having fun with that, but I didn't really have any. I, I had no idea if that was in the ballpark.
0: Yeah, you uh, went with she- your instincts.
1: Yeah, I just,
2: yeah.
1: you know, they'd say something gross, and I'd be like, okay. And um, that became a thing with Jerry, you know, where so they they decided to cast a woman and um, and cast me, and then as I said, I thought I was in the first four, and they said you might come back at the end. But I didn't really. I wasn't booked to do that, and then I ended up being somewhere in every episode.
2: Yeah,
1: so I, I was a regular.
0: You're everyone's favorite character. I mean, you you
1: you, <laughs> you
2: speaking
0: of buoy, you you buoy that family so well, and you're able. You know, I have friends that are of means, and I know what it's like to be just kind of like whoa, and just kind of like having to encounter of that. So it's yeah. so it's so interesting. I'm curious because like you. you you play it brilliantly and that's the that's you know I talk about this all the time on this podcast that's the difference between good acting and great acting is nobody else could have played Jerry in the world other than J. Smith-Gammert like it's just every scene you're in it, it, you know it's kind of like you know in a clockwork orange the dark night when you know Alex or you know Heath's character Alex is the character's name but you know the Joker it's like more, more, you want more, you know what I mean? I'm so curious, like, is there room for improv on that show, or a lot of your your reactions, you know?
1: Yes, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think the reason that Jerry got expanded was, um, they they, they thought the same thing I thought was funny about her, that she would kind of like, take it like a man. <laughs> yeah. Take it, she could be one of the boys, but she was constantly grossed up by them and batting them away, and that with her facial reactions or her body language. And so I think they begin to kind of write for that. I mean, they do that for everyone on the show. They really do um like...
0: Write to the like idiosyncrasies of the characters and...
1: Yeah. And yeah. they sort of... It's a real collaboration. And then they do this thing where... They used to do this... They still do this sometimes. They call them a freebie, where you kind of do... They, they get it covered. Like, they get the takes they need to... They feel they have it. And then they go. Okay, this one's just a preview. You kind of do whatever you want. You can, wow. you can paraphrase it, or you could do something new, or just do it your own way a little bit. And sometimes they'll use those takes. Or the other thing they famously do is they'll leave the camera rolling so you finish the dialogue.
0: Oh, and you can just
1: it's okay. just free flow. You just go on behaving. You might yeah be talking, or you might just roll your eyes, or you might sigh, or you know. In other words, life goes on. And so that even if they don't use that footage. Sometimes you'll see it kind of show up in another scene later on. Something yeah. that was innate to your take on this on your character might then sort of written in later. Does that make sense?
0: A hundred percent. And was
1: we, we did an improv for the the um, Senate testimony episode
0: in um, season, season two, two.
1: and uh, we had to do some kind of off the cuff interviewing. While we were being, um, you know, while we were, while Tom and Jared, Tom and Jerry, while Tom Wamsgams and Jared Kalman are being, you know, having their Senate testimony. Yeah. When we're being questioned at the hearings, um, they, they, then they kind of, we just did some extra footage where they had pages, but we didn't have time to learn them or we kind of looked at them and they were like, you can just sort of wing your answer. I like, okay. I don't know that. Jerry would wing her, her Senate hearing
0: answers. Do you feel comfortable in the improv or is it always kind of like? Yeah,
1: because we, we've done, we've done the written stuff. Yeah. Well, by, by now I sort of, it's sort of fun because you, you can't really do it wrong because there's no, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I had earlier in the year, I'd said to Jer- to Jesse, I thought that maybe Jerry had two grown up daughters that were a little scared of her. That, yeah. You know, like, it didn't, it wasn't like Logan and his sons, but they, 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 they really wanted to please her, but they're a little scared of her. So they didn't like live in New York, but like just an idea I had. And he said, Oh, that's funny. I didn't think of her as having children, but let's just, let's don't put, let's don't decide yet. Yeah. So we were doing the improv. And I don't think they used it, but, uh, ever. Like, it might have been in the background when, you when they cut when the story cuts into the sort of war room the the testimony might have been on the background you know got it um, so the democrat senator asked me how would you feel do you have children miss helman and I said yeah I have two daughters (laughs) (laughs) how would you feel if they were on 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 one of these cruises and I was able to say, well, given the amount of oversight we now, we now know to begin yeah. this issue, I think it's basically the safest vacation that two young women could go on nowadays, actually. So it was like, That's I kind right. of turned it into a win, you know, I Yeah. and so, um, then so we cut, as I said, I don't think they use that footage, but Jesse kept running out laughing. It was like, you got your daughters in. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but then in the finale, um, David Rashi's character, uh, Carl, says, well, Jerry, what about when your daughters uh, uh, rode first class on the company die, when they flew first class on the company die? You know, it's just, you, you might not catch it, but it's in there. So yeah. they put it in, a reference to my daughter. So that's that kind of play. Is part. that going
0: to continue uh, in season three? I mean, did you guys start filming or no?
1: No, we were just about to when New York shut down.
0: Wow. And then I'm so curious about the the Jerry Roman relationship was that something
2: oh, that that Jesse <laughs> like
0: did you did you and Kieran become really close and did Jesse just write to that or was that something that he always just kind of
1: no I I don't know that's an interesting question because um, I mean the, the the obvious answer is. One of these improvs that, when they kept the camera rolling, was uh, in season one, at the end of season one, when Tom and Chip get married in England. Yeah. There was a scene where Kendall and Roman had dialogue, and then at the end of it, Roman wandered up to the bar where Jerry was, kind of trying to eavesdrop, and we had a little exchange that was kind of improv, I don't remember what we said. We had a little... Um, Flirty. Kind of. Yeah. Like a little wisecracking. Got it. Yeah. And I don't remember what it was. Karen remembers better than I do because I, I don't remember. But then he walked off and I kind of looked back at his ass. And, <laughs> the room, and then I turned back around and he apparently looked back at me. And it was just such an unlikely thing that, and then you could hear them laughing in the distant rooms where in the
0: Video village out. or
2: whatever. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So, but I was floored when they actually wrote that relationship. Two. but now when but then when you look back at the very first scene we shot which is early on in episode two yeah season one episode two the first scene I shot when you just meet Jerry it's a little flirty
0: yeah uh, I, I never right like, into it the way that it would become
1: right it's a yeah there's some kind of little weird like business flirt going on a little rapport there and Kieran and I have known each other for a long time He's oh four. so
0: you guys are close
1: we did. I, um, I,
0: I imagine there must be a lot of trust, you know, with th- that actor to be able to achieve that in the way that it needs to be achieved.
1: Yeah, I could think so. Yeah. I don't really trust
0: him, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he's—I'm uh, used to—and he's—I uh, really get a kick out of him. Yeah, he's really very free and inventive actor. So it's really kind of thrilling, but it's a little bit like hold on your hat
0: to And, and what's it been hat. like for, for J. Smith Cameron of uh, a show that just like, I mean just got shot out of the stratosphere and into the next you know, next universe was that, is that been an insane experience for you?
1: You mean the success of the yeah, success?
0: Yeah, yeah, pun intended
1: <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean I thought yeah. it was I thought it was great, straight away. I was like, this is really cool. This is a very cool In show.
0: all your classical roots, it's very Shakespearean, you know?
1: Kind of, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just, uh I didn't know if other people would, would react the way they did. And it was kind of interesting to watch, like, early reviews of it were, like, it's very well done, but, boy, the characters are so off-putting and... I'm not sure if it's something I would tune into regular, you know. And then some of those same critics would re-review it later in the season and go, like, I changed my mind. It's not my favorite thing on television ever, you know. It,
0: it, I, To be blunt, I had the same relationship with it. And in the first three episodes, I hated it. And I was like, I'm not watching it. And then someone's like, dude, just go back. And I didn't watch it as it aired. And then I went back and I fought my way through. And then the payoff was like, I was so wrong. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'll admit it. it.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, like I think that's true with all big, complicated TV shows. Is they do take their, they do take a while to stamp out their characters and their tone. Yeah, like if you look back, those early episodes are in the same theme, and you'll probably enjoy them now more if you went back.
0: Yeah, I have. To. I actually was rewatching some for this in, Like you know, this the safe room episode. Like oh god, so funny. But now I got to go back to the first season.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah.
0: has that been fun, being received so well by not only, you know, Hollywood, but just by fans, you know? Is that, I imagine, you know, when you walk in the streets in New York, that must be pretty funny when people stop you and say weird
1: things. Yeah. No, it's, of course, it's thrilling. Yeah. It's great. It's great, too, because it's not, um, it's wonderful to be on a show that is um, smart and sort of daring. Like it, I feel like it didn't doesn't ever pander or worry about. Yeah, didn't worry about us being likable. They didn't worry about it being clear. Like that. Sometimes the plot points such a plotty show. Like plot yeah. is a big part of that show. But sometimes you have to really be paying attention, or you will miss it. They don't. Nothing is nothing is easy and pre-digested. I think, yeah. and that's one reason I convinced audiences love it. Is they. They have to use their brains, and they have to pay attention to little details. And I think people actually really enjoy that. I mean, there's one theory that you watch TV to escape from having to think yeah. hard about it, and there's certainly a place for that kind of television, too. Yeah. But I think, you know, nowadays, people really do like um, it's more of an immersion. It's kind yeah. of really go somewhere when you have to really pay attention and you're like, wait a minute, I missed that. And you have to rewind it and really pay attention. That's, that's thrilling. Yeah, I mean,
2: I totally agree. I
1: you know, taste about televisions when they're really layers to things. That's engaging.
0: And, and do you, do you, do you guys think, you know, season three will be able to happen before filming wise, before the end of 2020 or is it just all up in the air?
2: Well,
1: that's certainly the hope I mean I yeah. think they're really 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 being proactive about trying to brainstorm the safe a safe way to do it yeah and um and if, if there's any um company out there who could pull that off I think it's this film crew and this producer yeah. that yeah. you know, because nice. they're very thoughtful and being and they're because we shoot all over the world um they're in, they're in sort of a think tank with production companies all over the globe.
0: Yeah, maybe doing a Scotland season or something, you know.
1: I don't know what I'm not sure what they're planning but they. I think they're not only thinking of the protocol for how to do it safely but also like how to adapt a story to go sort of where COVID isn't, you know, yeah. like right now the idea of shooting in New York City is a possibility whereas yeah. April, that was the hot spot of it when we're meant to start it early April and it was that's you know we were the epicenter of it now kind of not good doing very well in New York so it's it's not impossible to imagine being able to start in the fall maybe yeah um, in in New York and then in terms of where I don't know where the story and I I have no hands about where the story goes but um on the other seasons we've traveled around so I think that they are able to transpose and maybe try to when when travel is open to Americans, because so yeah. many, not the whole company, but so much of the company is Americans, so when it's possible to safe travel, I think they'll figure out a way. If anyone can do it, it'll be this outfit.
0: That's amazing, and and obviously I know because of the pandemic as well. Unfortunately, for you know people like me who both audition and work to in theater to survive, you know, would you go back to the stage anytime soon when that reality becomes open again?
2: Totally. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's amazing. And, and, you know, to, to wrap up, you know, I know this is a, a very heavy question, but for all the young J Smiths, you know, people that are in Florida or South Carolina or Kentucky and are trying to navigate this thing, and we're, you know, kind of dealing with the pandemic and, you know, what, what, any advice you would have for actors out there?
1: Um, I think if you keep your focus on the, on the play part of it, the fun part, the creative part of it, and not try to calculate, uh, I don't know if I have anyone to go on because I think a lot of people like, I'm very proud of my career. I'm proud of all those parts I play on stage, and that's not yeah. what everybody's going for, so.
0: People, yeah, people want fucking fame now. They want glory. They don't care about- Yeah, I
1: don't want to be rich and famous. Yeah, there. yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't really my criteria, but- Sorry, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I think, you know, if you just keep thinking about what draws you to it, and if you, if you even think of your auditions as, as an acting opportunity, like, like, I came to think of, an audition is my acting hit for the day. If I wasn't yeah. working and I had an audition, I just tried to enjoy it.
2: I'll yeah.
1: I would to make it my own and stretch out in it if I at all could. Yeah. And so, and and also just just day-to-day life, like, you know, if you live in New York City, just riding the subway is an acting class.
2: Like you just look around. Oh, sure.
1: And, you know, you, you start, you know, you have a long ride on the subway and you're watching you know, the man across from is exhausted and nodding off and the person next to them is um, cramming for an exam with their notebook and pencil out and yeah. the person next to that is wrangling their toddler. Yeah. And um, the them is, you know, cross and talking to himself and crazy. And you just, it's just one character, character
0: study. Character study, totally.
1: And you can kind of sometimes just, it's almost a meditation just to kind of study people that are in public, but they're kind of in private. Because there's yeah. a sort of a, a world and being in New York where you, it's like a construct, a social construct where we're kind of in private. Like, you know, you go out to walk your dog and you're not really, there's like a compact we made that we're all yeah. like in our own worlds. Yeah. It's not going be friendly and talk, but you don't have to kind of, do you know what I'm saying? Like go, you could a- go out and walk your dog. It's not impossible. Like it's, Anything goes in New York and, and it's kind of like there's room for individuality and privacy because it's so full of people. So you can be, you can have anonymity in a way, even though it's yeah. kind of not what you'd think if you didn't live there. But so it's so interesting to study people in public and study people in New York and, and try to, and so sometimes you'll, you know, you can muse on that, muse on people and then Use it later, like a yeah. couple months go by, and you have a audition, and you're like, maybe it was like how exhausted that nurse was on her way back on the subway during the yeah. pandemic. That woman in her scrubs was so tired, and she looked so scared, and she, and you can kind of channel her because you just observed her so closely. And so, if you, I think if you just look at all of life as being one big acting lesson, it kind of can tide you over and get you going.
0: I, I, I share this just because you know, for the creators, and it's going off directly what you said. A very close and dear filmmaker and writer friend of mine, Maximilian Williamson, who's been really kind of forcing me to write more. You know, as 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 actors need to do now. It's you, you can't just be one thing anymore. Uh, has told me as a writing exercise to when I'm on the subway, you know, go write a short about one of those people. You know, like. Think yeah. about where they came from, what their day is, just as a writing exercise. Great.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I didn't do that in my day, but that's true. You do. Yeah. You just make your own content now. I mean, in your head at least.
2: Yeah.
0: right? Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was an amazing episode and I, I love talking with you. And, and let's do this. You. Let's do this again when, when season three starts airing and, and let's grab coffee in the city. And I'd love to, to, to talk to your daughter about NYU and introduce right. her to some okay. of my. Friends, you're still teaching there. Fantastic. Yeah. Jay Smith, Cameron, you know, I'm wishing you and your family nothing but health and love. And I have such admiration for you and your work. And, and I can't wait to see what else everything is. And, and stay in touch. Thank you. you too. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Thank you for listening.